How are you doing today? Well, I'm going to move into professorial role. Um, if you remember back in January, I had a sacral stress fracture on the left side, and thus I had to sit for a while and take it easy. Well, I feel there needs to be equality on both sides. And so we just found out I've got one on the right side. And so that just means that uh, there's a number of weeks for this to heal up. And the more you can be off your right leg, the better. So if that's okay, we'll just sit here and and do our our sermon since I've got two of these and uh, try to get the healing process to go a little quicker. Uh, We'll do that this week and next week, and there's absolutely no way uh, that I'll be seated in two weeks when we're in the worship center. So, uh, but let's go with this one. Hey, if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 10, 1 Kings chapter 10. We've been on a series with uh, Solomon, and as you saw at the, uh, really with our bumper video, it says Solomon is a thinker, a builder, a leader, and a king. And we've looked at him as that thinker, the, the wisdom that he asked from God, and the builder, the builder of the temple, and the leader about how he has led their people through. But today, we're really going to focus on the king. And on the king part of this is that he, as uh, this great king, is getting ready to be visited by the most influential woman uh, in, uh, really, in the world at that time. It was called the Queen of Sheba. And so she is going to make a visit with Solomon. And there will be a thread that will go through it, which is something greater. And so I'll keep this in mind about something greater. So we will just walk through this passage. And you see starting in chapter 10, starting in the very first verse. He says, now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. The queen of Sheba, you say, where is Sheba? Most believe it is in Yemen. And so if you know anything about geography, you've got Saudi Arabia. And at the southern tip of of Saudi Arabia is Yemen. And just right across the Red Sea is Ethiopia. And so a lot of trade took place from Africa through Yemen to get to India or to go up along the Mediterranean countries. And so it was a uh, it was kind of a hub of trade. And they were well known for their gems and for their incense and perfume and their gold. And so it was a very wealthy area and she was the queen. And it, she decided that she was going to visit Solomon. And this was very unusual. In today's society, we're used to the heads of state visiting with other heads of state. Didn't happen back then. They would send other emissaries. But in this case, the Queen of Sheba was willing to travel over a thousand miles through the desert to come to visit with Solomon. She wanted to see him face to face. Now, when you read that first verse, it says, now when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. The fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. She understood that his fame was connected to his relationship with God. And that as he became famous, he also made famous the name of the Lord. So my first thought when I read this was I had to take a look at my own life and I'd ask each of us is, does my life spread the fame of the Lord? That when people look at my life, am I a good advertisement for God or am I a bad advertisement from God? When people look at my life, am I bringing good press to God or bad press to God? 
When someone sees me living and saying, hey, I serve God, am I encouraging people to be appealed to God or are people being apathetic to God because of my life? One of the things about Solomon is that uh, when, uh, when he lived a life that was accepting to the Lord, he was bringing the fame of the Lord even as he was getting his own fame. And so she was coming to him and she came to him. Uh, to be able to get her questions answered because it said she came to him with hard questions. During that day, you would uh, come up to someone and usually have these intellectual discussions or, and, uh, and even debates. And so she brought all the hard questions and she came to him and wanted him to answer those. But in verse two, it says also that she brought a lot of stuff with her. And it says she came to Jerusalem with a a very great retinue with uh, camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And then verse, and and when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. Now, this is a shiver up the spine for every married man. Uh, (laughs) Whenever it says that a woman came and she says, I'm telling you, everything that's on my mind, whoa, brother, (laughs) I can say that. My wife's not in here on the 930 service. She'll be at the 11. Uh, I probably will not point that out at the 11 o'clock hour on there. But she says, I'm going to tell you everything that's on my mind. Okay, bring it. And she asked him everything. And so she asked him the hardest questions that she knew. But I think as you read through this, she was asking hard questions, not just for this to be like a trivial pursuit thing, but I think there were things that she wanted to know in her own life. These are things I'd like to get answers to. And as she was getting answers to that, she was also getting spiritual insights because it was the fame of the Lord that sort of drove her over to be a part of this in the first place. And at the end of this, you will see that the greatest takeaway that she got were the spiritual insights that she learned from Solomon. So he gets to verse 3. And in verse 3, it says, And Solomon answered all her questions, and there was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. Covered it all. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of the officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. It blew her away. She could not believe it. She checked everything out. She looked at everything that he, that he was doing, uh, listened to all of his wisdom, and it said it took her breath away. It meant that she was overwhelmed in amazement. It was beyond what I have expected. Well, then you look at verse 6 and 7. And in verse 6 and 7, she gives her report. And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports. It can't be that good. Everything people have said about you just cannot be that good. So that's why I came myself. And I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report that I heard. It's beyond it. Everything that was told to me, I'm telling you, it was more. When I was able to see it firsthand, it was even greater than what everybody else had been telling me. It just exceeded it. I mean, it's the half was not even told me. It's incredible. 
And then she closed out on his staff in verse 8. And she says about happy are your men, happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Now, look at her observations. She spent some time with him. And after she spent some time with him, she gives a report back and says, your wisdom is greater than I had even heard it was. Your prosperity is greater than I even heard that it was. Your staff, your administration, your organization, your leadership are greater than I had heard. Just blew me away, took my breath away. It's, it's beyond. And it says, my experience was even greater than my expectations. Greater than what I've read or what I've been told. I've been told this was a great thing, but once I experienced it, it was even greater. And in verse 9, she gives praise to God. Look what it says in verse 9. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. She says, I'm just praising God that he has so richly blessed you. And, and this is, look how she ties this together. God really loves the nation of Israel. And I know he loves them so much because he gave you all these gifts and set you up to be the king over them to execute righteousness and judgment. Wow. Not only does he love you, but he loves the people because he gave you to the people. So she had just an amazing visit. I mean, it was, it was incredible. Well, here's the deal. If you fast forward a thousand years, okay, this took place in like the mid 900 BC. Let's fast forward a thousand years. Jesus of Nazareth is teaching. And as he's teaching, religious leaders are asking him for a sign. And they say, give us a sign to show that you are the Christ, number one. And number two, are you even worthy of us to follow you? And you're going to be amazed at what he said. John 11, verse 31. And in, excuse me, Luke 11. Luke 11, verse 31. In Luke 11, 31, he says this. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation. Now, the queen of the south is the queen of Sheba. Will rise up at judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Solomon is here. No way. I mean, Solomon, he had the greatest wisdom. He had the greatest prosperity. He had the greatest staff. He had the greatest leadership. He was the greatest king. And in Jesus of Nazareth stands before these people who know all about Solomon and says, hey, as great as Solomon was, there's something greater here. There's something greater here. And it is Jesus. This is what I want you to write down. King Jesus is infinitely greater than King Solomon. King Jesus is infinitely greater than King Solomon. You go through history. You'll never find a greater king than Solomon. But then Jesus himself says that he is infinitely greater than King Solomon. Now, you may say pretty strong words. Can you back that up? How can you say that Jesus, a carpenter's son uh, from Nazareth, is infinitely greater than King Solomon? Let me just give you just a couple things for you to write down. 
Here are the reasons are. Number one is this. Jesus is the agent of creation. Jesus is the agent of creation. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says this. For in him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is the agent of creation. Listen, folks, this is what it means. Jesus, who is the son of God, was the originating center for all of creation. He was the location from which everything came into being. He is Lord over creation. And you know why he is? It's because he created everything. Creation owns its, owes its unity, its meaning, and its very existence to Jesus. And when it says at the end of that verse, all things were created through him and for him, he is the end for which everything exists. All creation is to serve his will. Everything exists to display his glory, and ultimately Jesus will be glorified in his creation. He is the agent of creation. That's why he's greater than Solomon. Second thing is he's the sustainer of creation. It's not just the fact that Jesus created everything. He's the sustainer of creation. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, it says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus did not just create the world, but he holds it all together. And it's, he's like the, the uh, spiritual glue. I mean, he is the glue. He's a spiritual gravity that holds everything together. He keeps the cosmos from becoming a chaos. It is him. And that song that we used to sing, he's got the whole world in his hands. He does. He's got the whole universe in his hands. And he is the one that keeps everything together. Is he greater than Solomon? Yes. He's greater because he's the agent of creation. He's also the sustainer of creation. And third of all, he's the provider of salvation. Jesus is the provider of salvation. Of when we are separated from God, who can be saved from their sins? There's only one, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the provider of salvation. Acts 4.12 says this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Okay, look at that verse. How many names are there under heaven in which we can be saved? How many? There's one. And who is that? It's Jesus. Jesus is the provider of salvation. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the savior of the world. He is the one who lived the perfect life. He is the one who voluntarily went to the cross and died for our sins, who paid the penalty for our sins. And it had to be a perfect sacrifice, and he was the only perfect man who's ever lived. And so he died for our sins. And he's the only person that has been raised from the dead never to die again. And three days later, he was raised from the dead by God, stayed for about another 40 days and ascended to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. And one day he's coming back. He's the provider for our salvation. You see, Jesus is greater than Solomon because he's the agent of creation. He's the sustainer of creation. He's the provider of salvation. And then last of all, he's the judge for our final destination. He is the judge for our final destination. And in Acts 10, verse 42, it says, And he, Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. 
Jesus will have the last word. One of the first verses we ever learned uh, when we went to vacation Bible school or came to Sunday school was John 3.16. And in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. So he's right there to let you know. If you accept Christ as Savior, you have everlasting life with God in heaven. Well, what if you reject him? Revelation chapter 20 talks about the great white throne judgment. And at that great white throne judgment, it lays out in that uh, you will get the opportunity. Every lost sinner will have the opportunity to come to the bar of justice and stand before Jesus Christ, the righteous judge. And as Jesus and God lay out the holiness requirements that there is to come into their presence. And then they began to unpack your life, my life. And they unpack the life of those who never, if a person has never made their decision for Christ, as they unpack their life, then the righteous judge will condemn those who have not received him as Savior and will send them to an everlasting punishment and separated from God. Because you see, Jesus is the judge for our final destination. He is the one. See, when you think about Jesus Christ, it's more than just a word that people will use in profanity. It's more than just a teacher that said some nice little quotes that we can tweet out. He is the agent of creation. He is the sustainer of creation. He is the provider for our salvation. And he is the judge for our final destination. Jesus is greater He is the Son of God, He is the Savior, and He is greater. So now that He is greater, then what do we do? All right, I'm going to take us right back into that Old Testament story with Sheba and Solomon. And the same things that Sheba did with Solomon, this is how I want to leave it with each one of us as to what are the steps that we need to take. All right, number five is this come to Jesus and see if what He says is true. This would be my invitation to to any person that's never made a decision for Christ. said, I've I've listened, I've heard, I've never really bought into it. It would be like kind of a come and see over here. Come to Jesus and just see if what he says is true. That's what Sheba did, (laughs) the queen of Sheba. She kept hearing all this stuff about about Solomon. And she says, I got to go check it out and see if it's true. Everybody tells me it's wonderful. I just don't know. And people, these Christians or these people at work, these people at school, they talk about Jesus, they talk about the church. I just want to test it out. Let me see if if it's true or not. And that's exactly what she did. And here's, here's what I believe will happen. I believe that what will happen to anyone who seeks after Jesus, it will be the same as what the Queen of Sheba found with Solomon. That is, your experience will exceed your expectations. Your experience will exceed your expectations. Now, I want you to hang with me for, this, for just a moment on this. I would stand up, but I'm not supposed to, okay? Uh, your experience will exceed your expectations. When you pick up God's Word and you begin to read here and you read about these wonderful things in, in, in Scripture or you hear sermons uh, about, about Jesus and what does it mean to, to become a follower and what does it mean to, to, uh, to be a child of God, Incredible words, encouraging words. But I'm telling you, when you experience it, it's even greater than just reading the words off the page.
You can read about love, joy, forgiveness, grace, and mercy. But when you experience love, joy, grace, peace, mercy, all of these things, forgiveness of sins, it's way beyond the words. You know, there are those that when they give a testimony and they said, I, people were talking about Jesus, I never put him into my life, all of a sudden I got convicted of my sins and I said, I'm coming to Jesus. I'm going to accept him as my Savior. I'm going to turn my life over to him. And then you listen to their testimony and they said, oh, the freedom I have today, the peace that I have, the forgiveness of the sins, the wiping away, the cleansing of all unrighteousness and all those things I've done in my past. He said, I mean, you, you, there's, you can't put any money on that. That is a, a, an experience and a feeling. It's beyond anything I would have imagined. Does that make sense? Because we sit there and we talk about salvation. This is not a cerebral decision that you make. It's something you make with your heart. And when you make it with your heart and your mind, your soul, your spirit, all, God comes in and does an amazing work inside your life. And it's different. And when you read in the scripture, it says, I'll give you peace that passes all understanding. That's great. But you know what? When you do hit that roadblock, that challenge in your life, and you do get a peace that passes all understanding, it's unreal. And when he talks about comfort from suffering, and then we go through suffering and we go through difficult times, and yet God's Spirit comes alongside of us and gives us a strength and a comfort through that, it's, it's better. It exceeded any expectation of what I, what I read here in Scripture. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, when he's there at Lazarus' tomb, I am the resurrection and the life, to give hope for people to know that when a loved one dies and they're a believer in Christ, they will spend eternity with God. And when you're standing there at that gravesite of a parent or a child or of a friend and you're saying those last words and doing those last thoughts, and the pain is coming in, and then all of a sudden you've got this reassurance of Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Those words then become a part of who you are. And when they become a part of who you are, all of a sudden there's an amazing feeling. There's that peace. There's that strength that you have to continue to move forward. And it's beyond your expectations. My experience went beyond my expectations. Does that, does that make sense? And see, that's what happened to Sheba when she came to Solomon. And he's a great king. How much more will that be for you and me when we come to the greater king, when we come to King Jesus, okay? If we got that, it's true. Number six is this. Number six is honor Jesus with your worship and your treasure. Honor Jesus with your worship and your treasure. If, it, if you look in, um, in, again, in chapter, nine, verse nine, uh, chapter 10, verse 9, it says over here, Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Blessed be the Lord. She gave him honor. She said, I traveled a 1,000 miles to honor you, and I brought gifts for you. And look what it says in verse 10. I mean, she brought some goodies. Uh, in verse 10, it says, Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Let me ask you a quick question now. Are you married to someone who has everything and you have no idea what to get them for Christmas or birthday? Do you, there are people like that where you say, what do I give? What do you give Solomon 
<laughs> He's like the richest guy in the world. What do you give him? Well, it's interesting in that she brought a lot of stuff. You saw that in here. But in the, uh, there's a companion passage found in 2 Chronicles 9, 9. And it, sa- it says this, there never were such spices as those the queen of Sheba gave to Solomon. There were never such spices, which what it meant is they were very unique. She went to extremes to find something that was really special. And this is what she brought to him. And she was honoring him with that. Listen, if the Queen of Sheba goes to that much trouble to be able to honor Solomon and honor him not just with words, not just with presence, but also with her treasure, then how much more should we do the exact same thing to our Lord? To where when we come, we worship him, we honor him, but we also give of our own treasure, not begrudgingly, but willingly and thankfully and saying, God, it's a pleasure for me to give back to you because you are the one who's entrusted me with these resources. And this is what, is what she did for him. But I just want to tell you a thing. Jesus is greater. And because Jesus is greater, you can never outgive him. Now, this is not a give to get sermon. I'm just saying that anytime you give back to God, he is greater. And you cannot outgive him. In verse 13 of the, uh, in uh, chapter, chapter 10, it closes out their time together and says, King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked besides what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon. He gave her everything that she asked. I answered all your questions. You came for wisdom. I gave you wisdom. But I also gave you some parting gifts. I gave you over and above what you would have expected. And let me tell you the other thing that was over and above, and that is spiritual insight into the one true living God. You say, well, how do you know that? Because Jesus said it. Jesus said in that passage in Luke eleven thirty one, 31, when it comes to the judgment, guess who's going to be there? Queen of Sheba, which means that she's accepted that one true living God and says she will be there at the judgment. And when she's there at the judgment, she will look to you. And he's talking about this generation he was talking to. He said, she's going to look to you and says, in bottom line English, if I was willing to travel a thousand miles to see King Solomon and to give him of my treasure, how in the world would you not accept Jesus who's standing right here in front of you and also give him your treasure because he is even greater than Solomon? And it says she will stand there as a convicting agent (laughs) and will condemn them because she says, I did all of this for Solomon. And he was a great king. But this Jesus, he is even greater. Okay? Here's the last thing. Be God's gift to impact those in your sphere of influence. Now write this one down. Be God's gift to impact those in your sphere of influence. I reworded this about a hundred times because I think I originally had be God's gift to those in your sphere of influence. And I've always heard people say, oh, he's like God's gift to women. You know, have you ever, ever seen that? Read, hey, I feel like I'm God's gift to come into your life. And she said, yeah, I got a return policy getting rid of you. But, uh, but you look at each word over here, be God's gift to impact those in your sphere of influence. Where I get that from is, is verse nine. I love verse nine. When she says to him, God really loves Israel. 
And he loves Israel so much that he took you and equipped you to be the king over them to execute justice and righteousness. Now listen, you take that and you can spread this out a little bit, drive it down even deeper. You have been given a sphere of influence and God loves every single person in that sphere of influence, right? And I believe that God has so equipped you and gifted you just as he has me so that I can have an impact in their life that will bring fame and honor to God. Just as Solomon did what he was called to do to Israel, it brought fame and honor and glory to God. And the Queen of Sheba said, it's because he loves Israel and he also loves you, Solomon. Let me tell each one of you, each one of us here, God loves people in your sphere of influence and God loves you. And you don't, and I don't get a pass from impacting that sphere of influence. So understand what it is. It may be your job as a coach, your job as a teacher, your job as a counselor, could be as a businessman or businesswoman. It could be a mom mentoring to other moms. It could be as a grandparent. It could be dads mentoring to other dads. It is pouring into all these relationships. And it is people in your sphere of influence whom God loves. And he has equipped you and equipped me to be able to have an influence for them. Does that make sense? That's exactly what she was telling uh, Solomon. Good gracious, God really loves Israel. And see, I would love for someone to be able to stand up and do a testimony to say, you know, I know how much God loves me. And the reason I know how much God loves me is because he took you and brought you into my life to tell me who he was. And through your life and through your words, you showed me who God was. And it changed my life radically for eternity. Jesus is greater. And because he is greater, he has called us to greater things. May we be people who see Jesus as the greater one. And may we also be willing to do whatever it takes to influence our sphere of influence and to impact our sphere of influence with the gospel so that when it's all said and done, it's his fame and it's his honor and it's his glory, okay? Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful this day that um, you have called us and called us to be your children and... um, And when you call us to be your children, you call us to come into a relationship with you. But it is not a relationship that is just, it ends there. It is a relationship where we grow daily with you. And you give us opportunities to be able to spread your fame, your honor, your glory to others. I pray that today, that if there are those who've never made that decision to receive Christ as Savior, that they would decide that today they want to do that. And then, Lord, I want to pray for other, many of us here who've already made that decision. That as we look at this message and we look at the way the Queen of Sheba and the way she honored Solomon, that we too would be willing to honor you like that and to give of our time and our treasure and our talents to you so that you can bring honor and glory to your name. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.